The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. You are a visionary. You have a vision. You just need to create it and bring it to life. Welcome to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with your host, Kate Ebner. Our program will be an hour of inspiration from leaders who are making their visions happen and will set you on the path to having a big impact through your leadership and the life you really want. Now here's your host, Kate Ebner. Good morning. Happy New Year. You know, we're starting off this year with um, a guest I'm absolutely delighted to introduce you to. Um, she is a leader with passion and a great sense of purpose. Um, as the recent Penn State scandal has reminded us, child sexual abuse is a silent epidemic. In the United States, a shocking one in four girls and one in six boys are sexually abused before their 18th birthdays. Today, my guest is Michelle Booth Cole, Executive Director of Safe Shores, the D.C. Children's Advocacy Center, an organization that's dedicated to working directly with child victims of sexual and physical abuse in Washington, D.C. And from the front lines, Michelle has really developed her own compelling vision, a vision of a society where children are safe and where adults act as responsible community members to keep them that way. Thank you for joining me today to learn from this courageous leader and find out how we can all create safety for our children. Welcome to the show, Michelle. Thank you so much, Kate. I'm, I'm really delighted to be with you. Michelle, I have known you now. We were just talking a moment ago, and it's been, you know, a few, almost four, four years actually since we first met. But uh, for the sake of our listeners, give a sense of who you are professionally and also your life beyond the workplace. I'd love for you to just have a moment to paint a portrait of you and what you do, who you are. Sure. Well, I guess it starts um, with who I am. I'm a person of faith, and so my faith guides my life and everything that follows from that. Um, I used to tell people that my route, my professional route was um, was kind of circuitous and accidental, but the older I get and the longer I live, I really believe that there are no accidents. Um, so I see a really strong connection between the things um, in my life that have had a big impact to lead me where I am. I would say starting um, in college, um, where I was um, a volunteer as a big sister for two years, and that meant I had a mentor relationship with a little girl who was seven at the time when I was in my undergraduate years. And it was a two-year commitment, and that had a profound impact on me in terms of um, my perspective on my ability to have an impact on someone's life and their ability to impact my life and help me grow and learn in new ways. Um, from and so I want to give a I'm going to give a shout out to Phillips Brooks House at Harvard University, where I had my first major volunteer experience, and then in law school, where I went directly after college. Um, my favorite class was juvenile justice clinic, um, and again, it was. Um, a role where I had a direct connection with a young person 
who was having really serious issues at home, who ran away a lot. Um, there were abuse issues. Um, there were violence issues. And my role was to be her advocate um, in court. And so that was a profound experience for me. Um, and again, that was under um, Dean Wally Malinick's guidance at Georgetown University Law Center. So that was a tremendous experience. And then from there, I found I was always volunteering um, throughout undergrad, after undergrad, um, after law school, in youth programs of some sort. I was a tutor um, with different programs. Um, I was a mentor. And finally, I had the opportunity um, after law school. I knew I wanted to somehow be involved with service. So I did public policy at some point. At one point early on, I worked on the Hill. Um, I was a legislative staff person, and that was a great opportunity, great exposure to see um, how the process works, um, what impact individuals as well as institutions um, and organizations can have on our legislative process, on our governing process. Um, and then I went to do advocacy for young people at a nonprofit, and I have been in the social service or nonprofit sector ever since, and finally had the opportunity to really merge my passion for helping young people with my um, professional interest when I became the executive director of a mentoring program, um, and that was my first um, leadership position in the nonprofit sector, and then went on to be an executive director of another organization that dealt with education in young people, and finally ended up where I am now at Safe Shores, the D.C. Children's Advocacy Center, where I've been for um, about eight and a half years. So that's my professional journey. Um, and along the way, um, just as importantly, if not more so, I was um, really privileged to marry the love of my life and along the way to have three wonderful children. Well, thank you very much for sharing. You know, I was hoping you would include the this, the family story too, because I know that, um, so much of the work you do in the world is work that, um, that, uh, you go home at night and still think about. So we're hopeful to, we can talk a little bit about, um, some of the ways that what you see and what you experience, um, shapes perhaps how you, how you live your life. Um, you know, Michelle, um, you've become a well-known advocate for children and families. I hear you on NPR. I sometimes read your words in the Washington Post. Um, I've been following what you and your staff are accomplishing at Safe Shores. And I wonder if you could just give our listeners a sense of um, what your work is and what Safe Shores does. I'm, I'm delighted to have that opportunity. I mean, you hit on it when you said um, you referenced my colleagues. I, I am part of a team. Um, and, and I think what's really significant about our work here at Safe Shores the D.C. Children's Advocacy Center, is that the sum is, is really greater than, than each of the parts. Um, the name can be a bit misleading. We, we advocate for children in the context of abuse investigation. So our role is really to provide intervention, hope, and healing in those cases where there are allegations of physical and or sexual abuse against children, um, and also cases where children are witnesses to violence. So we do that by providing a safe, welcoming space for children to tell what has happened to them, 
Um, and also, though, for our partner agencies in law enforcement, child protective services, prosecution, um, medical and mental health, for them to all hear from that child simultaneously while that child talks to a trained professional who is skilled at interviewing children about traumatic events, rather than have that child have to talk to multiple adults who don't necessarily um, have the skills or background to talk to children about traumatic events, our team, our partner agencies, can observe this interview in real time. In addition to this, these forensic interviews, we provide really a wraparound complement of services because we understand that when children and families have experienced violence, traumatic events, you can't just treat one part of the problem. So we have a victim services staff who really greet the family and the child when they come to the center and help walk them through the process, make sure the child feels comfortable. That could be by providing snacks, by providing by playing games or just watching a video with the child. And then we also have mental health services that are available. We have trained therapists who are really skilled at working with traumatized children around very serious events of violence. And then our medical partners um, obviously conduct the physical abuse examinations, the sexual abuse examinations, to make sure that children are whole and well and able to heal physically. And then we work with prosecutors as well who can see these cases through the criminal justice system. Um, so it's a really multifaceted approach. It's based on a nationally replicated model. There are more than 750 children's advocacy centers throughout the United States. They are growing internationally as well because this model has been recognized by the Justice Department as well as the American Bar Association as the best way to respond to child victims and their families. Thank you for giving us that overview. I think that gives us a very nice picture of what, what the work is. And for you as the leader of, of Safe Shores, um, and do I need to say Safe Shores, the D.C. Children's Advocacy Center when I refer to it? You can just say Safe Shores. It's a long Oops. name, we know. Okay. Mm-hmm. What does, what's your typical week look like for you, Michelle? Um, that's such a that's such a funny question, and and I, um, because my colleagues and I kind of laugh consistently because they're we always say it's it's never dull here. It's the work is never dull. It's it's always um, challenging. There's always some new take, new um, new opportunity, um, obviously to to make a difference. But because we're dealing with um, human beings, um, while there may be nothing new under the sun. There are constant variations. So um, for me in particular, um, while I don't deal with clients directly, um, I do w- deal with the staff who are dealing with clients directly. Um, and so it's listening to them and making sure that they have the support and resources that they need to perform their jobs effectively, to be equipped to deal with the clients. Um, I could be doing anything from like I said, meeting with staff, meeting with our partner agencies in law enforcement, prosecution, child protective services, medical, um, making sure that their needs are being met because we provide a service to them as well in terms of making sure 
that the interviews and the other, the other services we're providing for children and families are helping to meet their agenda. Um, I could be meeting with funders because we are a nonprofit, so a big part of my role is um, making sure that we have the resources to provide the services to the children and families who see us. So making those connections, giving people an opportunity to know about our work and giving people an opportunity to make a difference by investing in our work. Um, I could be editing grant applications, reports, um, meeting with accountants, um, communicating and meeting with our board members who are so key to helping us accomplish our mission. They are volunteers, but they give their time in such a tremendous, and their talents and their treasures in such a tremendous way. So making sure that I'm keeping them up to date and making sure that I'm communicating with them effectively. Um, we have international delegations who come to tour, so it could be creating those opportunities or, um, like I'm doing now, um, having the privilege and pleasure of talking about our work and raising awareness about this critical issue. Um, mm-hmm. so the, the week mm-hmm. is, is really pretty varied from day mm-hmm. to day. Mm-hmm. Well, I was, I was curious about the question in part because um, I imagine it's a very dynamic environment where there's a lot happening at any given moment. Um, and you need to be forward-looking as a leader in order to make sure that the needs are able to be met, that people have what they need, um, that they have the, the support they need as well as the resources that they need. Um, and I'm wondering, Michelle, we're going to take a break in just a moment, but you know, as I connect the dots here between the story you told us about who you are professionally and in your life and then this work that you do, it sounds like um, the experience you had both being mentored and advocating and um, mentoring when you were a young person and, and a, a new professional um, have really shaped your passion for, the, for, for giving back in this way. Can you just say a little bit about whether I'm right about that or how, do you, how did you get from law school to here? Um, you're, you're absolutely right. I've been really um, fortunate to have people in my life along the way who've been generous in sharing um, their time and their experience and perspective. Um, I think one of the major lessons for me has been um, don't let my passion impede my progress. Mm. Um, and and that's been really that's been really key for me because I think people who are called I'll speak for myself and being called to um, the social service sector I'm called because I do have a passion and a belief that I am here to change the world in some way by making some small contribution. Um, at the same time, the intensity of that feeling um, I have to modulate it and not let it burn me out because I really want to be here. Um, for the long haul to do this work. Um, and so I think mentors have been really great in helping me understand that. Um, and, and in turn, as I try to share the benefit of my experience um, with the people that I work with, as well as with my own children um, and with my friends, I think that's been really one of the tremendous lessons is that you have to pace yourself. I love that. Don't let your passion impede your progress. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the events at Penn State and what that looks like and means to you and your community and what advice you have for all of us. Uh, We'll be right back. We're always 
always talking business, talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business talk. Entrepreneurial Insights is your weekly excursion into the world of business ownership. Presented by Sunbelt Business Brokers, the leading business brokerage and intermediary firm in the world, Entrepreneurial Insights will examine critical issues that impact both existing and prospective business owners. If you own or want to own a small business, listen for Entrepreneurial Insights with John Davies, Pino Boccianello, and Matt Ottaway. Fridays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with host Kate Ebner. We'd love to hear from you. Pick up your phone and call into 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Please send it to visionaryleader at nebocompany.com. Now, back to today's program. Welcome back. I'm talking to Michelle Booth Cole about her work and her leadership at Safe Shores, uh, the D.C. Children's Advocacy Center. And Michelle has given us some background about herself. Um, I'd love, Michelle, for you to help me think about um, what the opportunity that the Penn State um, tragedy has actually, uh, what kind of an opportunity that may have created for us as a nation in light of the epidemic of child abuse that we were talking about earlier. I think this fall we were rocked as a nation by the news from State College, Pennsylvania, and those allegations of child sexual, sexual abuse over the years by Coach Jerry Sandusky. And this situation has brought child sexual abuse to the attention of the nation. Um, and I'm wondering... You are out there on the front lines of this all the time. Were you surprised when you heard this story? Um, sadly, no. I, I wasn't surprised at all. And I think my colleagues who work in this field, um, and when we talked about this case, um, and, and it is evolving clearly because um, victims continue to come forward, we talk about how textbook it really is. Um, that's the thing that strikes us, and that that's the that's the really devastating aspect of it. Um, if we have to find a bright side of it, which which we do, we really have to use this as an extended teachable moment um, for our country to really not just start the conversation. So that's why this case has been um, valuable. Um, because it has triggered a national conversation. The key is going to be, how do we continue to have this conversation and to really expand it in ways that make it meaningful um, to the lives of children and the people who care about them on a daily basis? 
Mm-hmm. I understand what you're saying. And I, I wonder when you say it's textbook, what do you mean by that? Well, you know, child sexual abuse um, is, is in many ways a crime of opportunity. And adults really are in the position to minimize the risk of that opportunity. Um, and so when we consider... Um, if you read the transcripts from the Sandusky grand jury hearing or you, you look at the circumstances of what have, what's been described in this case, in, in many instances, it's been unfettered, one-on-one adult child access um, with no supervision, with no other adult to come in and have an opportunity to supervise or, or lay eyes on them. It's been, um, there was grooming that took place, and grooming is just a term that means when an adult, a perpetrator, really tests the boundaries and see how far they can manipulate not just the child, but also the adults around that child to cultivate a level of trust that gives them that unfettered, unsupervised access. So there was grooming in the form of taking children on trips or providing them with gifts or just giving them also that one-on-one attention that every child, every human being craves and needs, um, but they need it from healthy sources who have their best interest at heart. Um, so there, there were key elements in this when you go back and you learn more about the case that say, wow... These are the things that we know typically happen in cases of child sexual abuse, and they're also the things that we know can be prevented when we put policies in place in institutions that serve children and young people, and when we raise our level of awareness as adults, parents, caregivers, educators, coaches, faith leaders, individuals who are responsible for the well-being of children. You know, you, um, in a recent blog post, you described child abuse as a community problem and as a national threat requiring an unwavering and proactive response, Michelle. And you've, you've actually equated the epidemic of child abuse to another national threat, the war on terror, uh, which has conditioned us, as you wrote, to say something if we see something. Right. And, and in a recent blog, in this blog, you made the case that the same kind of response is what's needed to keep our children safe. And I wonder, Michelle, um, tell us more about what we need to do as parents and communities to to safeguard our children, to take your advice. Well, I think the first step is really, one, we're having the conversation. So that's that's so key, is not to be afraid to talk about the issue and to talk about it with other adults to encourage um, the institutions where we entrust our children to have these conversations and to be proactive in recognizing the threat. So that's certainly part of it. But then to, in having that conversation, to really become well-informed about the risk. How does, it, how does the risk occur? How do we minimize the risk? To really to get educated about the problem. Um, and then the, the next step is really, it's about being courageous and this whole notion of if you have a suspicion or if you see something, to report. Um, And there are different reporting legal requirements 
depending on the jurisdiction. But the fact is, all of us have a moral imperative to report child abuse. Um, and the challenge is overcoming the barriers that can stop us, whether they're fear of getting involved, fear of perhaps being mistaken, or fear of the recriminations that might come. Um, we have to move beyond those barriers because children really depend on adults to keep them safe. And so we have to rise above our own fears um, to take those steps to protect them. Mm-hmm. And I, I wonder, you know, I've, I've thought about this quite a bit, Michelle, in, in terms of um, kind of the code of silence that uh, occurs often around incidents of child sexual abuse, and I think child abuse probably more broadly as well. Um, and I wonder, why are we so silent? You know, what, what stops the child from reporting? What stops adults from saying what they see? Well, in terms of what stops children from reporting. I mean, the the interesting thing is, is that the majority of cases don't come to light when people are children. Um, the research shows that roughly only 12% of child victims actually report when they're children. Um, the majority of cases come to light when people who've been victimized, become adults, and either feel safe enough because they're away from their perpetrator, because they're out of that person's reach to tell what happened, and or gain an understanding of what actually happened to them. Um, Mm -hmm. So you hear people in the Sandusky case saying that in in one instance, only when he heard about um, a case of sexual abuse, did he understand what had actually happened to them? So in some instances, it's adults being educated, it's people coming to awareness that what happened to them wasn't um, right, it wasn't healthy, it wasn't um, a good interaction, it wasn't what was supposed to happen between an adult and a child. So the cases that we see reported, and hundreds of thousands of cases are reported each year, this is only the tip of the iceberg because we're only seeing a small number of, a, a small percentage of the cases come to light when people are children. So that's part of the challenge. Children are afraid to tell um, because they think adults are right. They're afraid to tell because they don't want to get their perpetrator in trouble. Keep in mind that this is a crime where the perpetrator makes the victim feel complicit in the crime. They make them feel like it's their fault, or they encouraged it, or somehow they're responsible for it. Um, sometimes children don't tell because if the perpetrator has a relationship with the family, they don't want to disrupt that relationship. So there are a lot of reasons why um, children don't tell, which is, again, why it's incumbent upon caring, responsible adults to keep children safe, to put the safeguards in place, that minimize the risk of this crime occurring. Mm-hmm. In, in terms of why adults don't report, that's, that's really, it's really kind of, um, it's simple and it's complicated all, all at once. There have been, there's been research done that talks about the, the bystander effect. And 
you know, it, it depends on sometimes the relationship of the person who may witness or suspect something um, to the perpetrator or to the alleged victim. Um, people don't always have the notion that it's their business. People, we, we are, we are a country where what we, you know, it's bowling alone, right? That's, that's, mm-hmm. that's the phenomenon that we've seen. There's a disconnectedness mm-hmm. in our community, in our national community, where people don't necessarily feel a connection or a responsibility for their neighbor, for children who are not their own. So, so we don't folks, feel connected. We, right. we feel like we're, we're not, um, it's not our business. Exactly. Um, and so part of it is getting beyond that effect. Um, people sometimes don't, adults don't report because they feel like they have to have all the information, which is not true. The standard is a reasonable suspicion. Um, so you don't have to have all the facts. You don't have to have necessarily witnessed um, an incident to have a reasonable suspicion of abuse. Um, so there are, there are a lot of reasons why people don't tell, and, and sometimes people just don't know what they're seeing. They don't realize that what a child, the behavior a child may be displaying, might be a manifestation of abuse. So again, that's why educating adults, having um, community trainings and learning opportunities where adults get past their discomfort in talking about this issue and grow in their recognition of of the prevalence of the issue, as well as how it manifests itself, why those opportunities are so important. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for for speaking about about that um, that real barrier of silence. And you know, as I listen to you, Michelle, I mean, you're, you're right. Your passion is just um, evident and front and center as as we talk about this topic. It makes me very glad um, for children all around the country that. Um, people like you are doing the job that you're doing. Um, well, let me we're going to take the, I am oh, I am one of thousands. Let me just say oh, this. I know there I are know. so we're... many caring and really brilliant professionals working in this field every day, and I am I'm privileged to be able to represent them. But let's be I just I really believe in in sharing the shine. Um, I I am one of many, um, including here at Safe Shores, and I'm just a piece of the puzzle. Um, and it's really, it takes a community and it takes a lot of individuals. It takes all of us really recognizing and stepping up on behalf of, on behalf of children, on behalf You're of those who are most absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And we're going to come take a break, Michelle. We'll be right back. And we want to talk more about the solutions and also hear your vision for the future. We'll be right back. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Tune in to Tom Says for practical solutions that you can use in your life. Whether it's information you can use for business, spiritual awareness, health, or personal issues, you'll want to listen to this life-changing program hosted by Tom Gerbic. Tom will also invite you to participate by calling in or sending emails. There's no topic that's taboo. With Tom's life experiences, you'll find that a weekly visit can be truly inspiring. Tom Says can be heard on the Voice America Variety Channel every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, with a weekly rebroadcast on the Voice America Business Channel. Do you want to know what's really going on these days? 
Well, Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in Washington, on Wall Street, and in our nation's legal system impacts your business every day. We're taking you on a behind-the-scenes tour of all of it. Each week, we bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers, lawyers, and business leaders. I'm Kevin O'Neill, and I'm your host as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join me for Capital Thinking on the Voice America Business Network each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with host Kate Ebner. We'd love to hear from you. Pick up your phone and call into 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, please send it to visionaryleader at nebocompany.com. Now, back to today's program. Welcome back. I'm here today with my guest, Michelle Booth Cole. Um, she is the executive director of Safe Shores, the DC Children's Advocacy Center, and she has been talking with us about her work, um, helping to, um, support children who have experienced, um, child abuse and child sexual abuse. Um, we've been having a very intense conversation and, um, Michelle, we're beginning to get some, um, response from our listeners. We're going to turn to that in just a moment. We ended before the break with you talking about, um, it's, it's a community response, uh, that there are many, many people like you who are doing great work to support, uh, change in this aspect of our society. Um, and I wanted to just, um, kind of, zoom in on the idea that this is a community problem and you've given us some very good uh context and perspective about what's really what really prevents us from taking action um i i want to just hear one more time for the sake of listeners who are who are maybe wondering if they're seeing something like this in their own communities what is it that they should be looking for It's an, it's a complex problem, and so people may not always know exactly what they're looking at, but I think part of it is just approaching life with eyes wide open when it comes to children, and also really slowing down to make the time to listen to and observe children. Um, we live in a culture that really encourages speed and rapid response and equates effectiveness with doing something quickly, um, whether it's our, um, our Blackberries or our email or how fast we respond to voicemail. And the fact is, is that really caring for children, um, is counterculture in that children really demand if we're doing our jobs right and being their caretakers and being stewards of children that we slow down. Um, whether it's the toddler um, who wants to leave the house in mismatched socks <laughs> and, and, you know, or, or doesn't want to leave the house at all in the morning, or whether it's the um, teen who may take longer to talk to us and open up, and we've got to allow that space. So when people are asking what to look for, um, 
if we're talking about signs of abuse, then, you know, one of the key things they tell us um, is to look for major changes in behavior in kids. Um, and to do that, you have to know kids. And to do that, you have to be paying attention to them. Um, having conversations with our children on a daily basis. Um, and that means, what happened at school today? Um, tell me what you liked. Who did you talk to? Who did you play with? Um, really asking open-ended questions so they have the opportunity to talk and not just uh, shut the conversation down with one-word answers. Um, noticing changes of behavior around kids, around certain people maybe. If our kids tell us that certain people make them uncomfortable, pay attention to that. Honor that. Don't just dismiss it. Um, encouraging our kids to honor their instincts. Um, you know, Gavin De Becker's written about the gift of fear and how our culture really sometimes encourages us to override our natural instincts. And we really have to slow down and pay attention to our instincts and encourage our children to do the same. Um, for me, it really comes down to mindfulness, um, which can be a challenge to practice um, from moment to moment, but that really is what it comes down to. Um, are we mindful of the situations that we are putting our children in? Um, are we mindful of um, the time we spend with them and how we're listening to them? And not being able to, not being afraid to ask questions of the folk that we put our children with, whether it's a play date and asking another parent, who's going to be home? Who's going to be in your house? Who's going to be supervising the children? Um, and not being afraid sometimes to say no um, because you don't feel comfortable with a situation. Um, so there, there are lots of things that we can do, um, and, and it starts with getting educated um, like you're allowing us to do today. So thank you for doing that. Well, I'm really... Um um, moved by your passion and your eloquence on this topic and I really hope our listeners are um, taking it all in and understanding that you know whether there's someone you're concerned about or um, someone you know or whether it's just uh, good knowledge this is really important so Michelle our show is called Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life as you know and when I met you a few years ago at a, at a vision retreat in Connecticut I was struck by your strong sense of purpose and your deep commitment to your work, which I think is very evident again today. And I'm curious if you could articulate today, what is your, your vision of the future? Um, well, thank you, Kate. I'm, when we met, I was, I was similarly struck by, um, one, the, you're helping people come into their vision um, and your, um, your, your sense of compassion um, for helping people do that and a really keen ability to tap into that. So thank you um, for saying that about me. Mm -hmm. um, I, I guess in a, in a really, um, <laughs> it, may sound, it may sound corny, but I guess that's the driver um, for me. Um, I really see a world, I, I want to try to create a world and to work with others to create a world where um, every human being is treated with dignity and compassion. Um, it's really, is really that simple. And, and it starts, um, with me as an individual and how I treat people in my day to day life. Um, how do I treat people in my home? And then how do I take that? Um, how do I carry that where I go and 
try to infuse that in my work. Um, so that's kind of my vision. And then obviously it plays out in a more specific level with um, making sure that children are treated um, with that level of care and dignity and compassion. Um, and and that's that's pretty much it. I think we have a responsibility, at least for me, I feel like my purpose on the planet is to try to make the world somehow better in my little, um, really small way um, and in whatever corner I'm occupying to try to make it a better space. Thank you, Michelle. Our, one of our listeners asked this question. Fighting child abuse, educating others on prevention. This is very important work, and your vision is spectacular. And the listener says, I imagine the work can be very depressing. How do you keep your vision moving forward and not let the anger, depression, et cetera, affect you when you're working or when you're at home with your own family? How do you manage that? That's a, that's a great question, and it's one um, that I, I have to say I do hear fairly regularly. I know my colleagues hear it. Um, we, we sometimes joke with each other that when we tell people what we do when we're out, if you're at a, a dinner or uh, some type of event, you can sometimes stop the conversation when you tell people the work, <laughs> the field that you're in. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I think part of it is I work with spectacular individuals. Um, I can think of one colleague um, who has an amazing laugh that I hear throughout the day when I, um, when I have the chance to be in her space. Um, another one who has a just an infectious smile. Another who has a tremendous sense of humor. Um, um, people who have tremendous dedication. So I think part of it is um, I, I've been fortunate to be surrounded and at some level intentional because I've hired a number of them, <laughs> um, surrounded by people who just bring the right spirit to the work. Um, and then um, part of it, the big part of it is, though, that my colleagues and I know is that there's tremendous hope in what we do if we can intervene um, in a timely and appropriate way in the lives of children who've been affected by violence, um, by sexual abuse then we know that there is the tremendous possibility for healing and for that child going on to lead a really productive, remarkable life. Um, so I think I derive a lot of energy um, and hope from that um, because if we weren't here and there was a time when children's advocacy centers did not exist and it was a really sad situation for children who were affected by abuse. They often were made to feel like they had done something wrong, that, you know, police showed up at their school in uniform and took them away in a squad car and questioned them in a police precinct. And, you know, they'd have to talk to five, six, seven more people and tell what had happened. And so we see tremendous progress in this model, in this Children's Advocacy Center model, where now there is a space that's designed for children the colors on the walls, the art on the walls, the floor plan, the people who are here are all focused on creating this safe, welcoming place for children to tell what's happened to them, um, to work the toxic, I guess, events out of their life. Um, and we find a real uh, tremendous amount of hope in that. And so I guess that's, that's part of it. And then as your listener pointed out, 
Um, I'm really blessed to have three wonderful, um, healthy children um, who totally give me perspective, who keep my feet on the ground, who keep me <laughs> very real, um, who challenge me to be a better person with every interaction, who make me think, um, and who make me remember um, constantly what childhood is supposed to be about it at its best. Well, I love, you know, what I love about your answer is that in addition to really telling us um, what keeps you going and how you stay motivated and really bringing that right back to home and family, um, you also kind of added to your vision, your vision of um, a, a community where adults are knowledgeable and equipped to keep children safe and also a, a world in which children are having safe and happy childhoods. You've added to it, kind of an organizational vision, which is this um, safe and welcoming space that really addresses the problems that exist in a way that's much more nurturing and supportive of the children. And that that seems to speak directly. So you really believe in what you're doing and the effectiveness of the model. And so that is super clear. We're going to take a break, Michelle. When we come back, we're just going to talk a little bit more about, um, you know, where to go with all of what you've said to us and where we can learn more about you and Safe Shores, where we can make contributions to Safe Shores, as I'm sure many people are wanting to know. And also, and also we'll, uh, we'll, I want to frame the problem just a little bit more for the listeners. We'll be right back. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. Are you tired of the government squandering your tax dollars on bailouts and overpaid bureaucrats? On Free Markets with Dr. Mike Beitler, Mike Beitler and his guests explain why big government regulations are the problem and innovative businesses and free markets are the solution. Listen to Free Markets with Dr. Mike Beitler, Thursday mornings at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Network. Frankly Speaking About Cancer is a program designed to empower survivors and their caregivers to deal with the social and emotional challenges of cancer. Drawing on resources from wellness communities throughout America and abroad, the show will invite physicians, researchers, nurses, social workers, patients, and caregivers to share their advice on how to live a better life with cancer. Join host Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community, Tuesday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with host Kate Ebner. We'd love to hear from you. Pick up your phone and call into 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. If you'd rather send an email, please send it to visionaryleader at nebocompany.com. Now, back to today's program. 
I'm talking to Michelle Booth Cole this morning, and we're talking about safe and happy childhood for all. That's her vision, and it's a vision of community. It's a vision of um, child, children and adults um, in a committed relationship of trust. And Michelle, right before the break, really reminded us that in order to really know to help children, we actually need to know children. In order to know children, we need to slow down. So I just want to jump back on that point. I thought that was a beautiful point. Um, Michelle and I are, are having this conversation in, in part because she is one of the most compelling and visionary leaders I have met in recent years. And she's addressing a subject, um, a, a topic, a, a an epidemic, as she calls it, in our society that really needs our attention. I don't know if you realize, but a report of child abuse is made almost every 10 seconds in this country. And in fact, one in every four girls is abused um, sexually before the age of 18, one in every six boys. So this is going on uh, maybe right in front of our eyes with us not seeing it, or perhaps you have a suspicion. So I want to just invite you to get more information if you're interested in learning more about the call. And Michelle, can you just tell people where they can go to learn more? What resources would be a good good choice for learning more about options here? Well, I, I'd certainly encourage them to start with our website, um, which is safeshores.org. S-A-F-E-S-H-O-R-E-S dot org. Um, that's a great place to start. Um, and, and if you have questions, you can email us at our, um, our general email address, team at safeshores.org, and we'd be glad to, to provide more information. Very good. And for those of you who would like to get behind the work that Michelle's describing, and certainly it's exciting actually to hear about a program that's as impactful as what you're doing, um, we want to direct you, I believe, to uh, make a donation at www.safeshores.org. Um, you could do that there, too. Absolutely. Um, Michelle... You've been doing this a while now. I think you're, you just told me that you were entering your ninth year, yeah. uh, or you've been doing this for nine years, I guess, as, as the leader of, of Safe Shores. Um, what do you know now that you didn't necessarily fully realize in the first couple of years? What have you learned? Um, I've learned um, that change takes time. Um, and, and that's why, again, the don't let my passion impede my progress. I, you have to, I have to work with a sense of urgency, um, but I have to do it with the understanding that not everything's going to happen in the time I might want it to. Um, I, I've learned the value of, of really taking the time to read and reflect. I wish I had a little bit more of it, but um, there's nothing new under the sun. And so, so much of what we can learn um, about issues, um, about working with people, um, it, it, people have written about, and now people are blogging, and there are videos. Um, so I've learned that there's real opportunity to learn, um, to take the time to, in terms of really educating and replenishing and really growing your own knowledge base. Um, I think the other thing that um, I'm very different now than when I first started in the nonprofit sector and leading organizations um, is I don't expect um, to know everything, and I don't try to hold myself out that way. Um, I know when I was a first-time executive director, there was so much pressure to feel like I always had the answer. Um, and certainly the older I get, um, the more I know 
um, that I don't know. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so um, that's been, frankly, um, really relieving. Um, now, I can, I can find the answer, um, or I can talk to somebody who can help me find the answer, but I think being a lot more compassionate um, and patient with myself has in turn um, helped me be more compassionate and patient with others. Um, and then I recognize that um, there's something I can learn from everyone and every experience, um, particularly the bad ones. <laughs> For some reason, the most powerful lessons um, seem to sometimes come out of the most difficult situations um, and really taking the time to um, extract what am I supposed to get out of this? What am I supposed to? What am I supposed to learn from this? And how am I supposed to come at life differently? Um, and I also try to look for the best in people, and try not to try not to assume the worst. Um, although um, in my job, I got to prepare for contingencies. <laughs> yeah, you know, you have a, just an incredibly positive way of looking at things, Michelle. You know, it's it's um, you know looking for the lessons. Um, intentionally bring bringing the positive you know looking for the contingency you know there's a there's a a, a kind of um i don't want to use the word relentless exactly because that sounds a little negative and i don't mean it to but sort of a relentless optimism is what i was going to say <laughs> at the core of who you are that is sounds to me like part of the answer part of the fuel to to your ability to lead on this tough subject um you know and i'm curious how does being a leader in the world of advocacy for child abuse influence you as a parent? Um, it, it's made me uh, a more intentional parent. Um, it's, it's made being an advocate and, and really learning about various issues um, um, makes me try on a daily basis um, to make sure that I'm walking the walk with my own children mm-hmm. um, because in the rush to get people up and fed and out of the house and off to school in the morning, um, intentionality and mindfulness can take a backseat um, <laughs> if I'm not careful. And so, um, you know, like literally, like did I, did I, Kiss my child this morning? Did I affirm my children this morning? Did I give them some sense to start their day that um, that I love them? And so, um, even with that, it's it's been key. Um, I've also just um, it's made me a little a little more fearless in terms of asking questions. Um, I'm the I'm the parent who turned down a lot of playdates when my children were younger because if I didn't know you. Why would I turn over my most precious resource to you? I just, mm-hmm. I, and, and I know it made me a less than popular parent with my own kids and, um, and sometimes with other parents. Um, and, and now I see as my children get older, um, that contrary to popular opinion, they actually need me more, not less. And yes. so it's really, um, trying to be a marathoner and not wearing out, um, because they're getting older and thinking I can just uh, um, coast. I really have to be very engaged in their lives. And um, I think it's also my work has taught me and is teaching me um, one of the things we 
teach when we train people on responding to child sexual abuse is don't overreact when a child tells you something. Don't go crazy. Don't go berserk mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it can make a child shut down. And I have to practice that in my own life with of my course. kids because you never know mm-hmm. what question is coming at you. You never know what revelation is coming. So um, really just Very good. try to calm down and be prepared for what might come. Very good. Well, you know, I'm thinking that you've got a book in you about all, all that you know. Um, thank you so much for sharing it with us today. Um, you are indeed a visionary leader living an extraordinary life, and I speak for all of us in thanking you for the work that you and your outstanding um, staff at Safe Shores are contributing, not just in D.C., but actually across the nation in these advocacy centers. So thank you for joining us today, Michelle. Thank you for the tremendous opportunity, and and thank you for making it easy and, and making it fun, Kate, and thank you for what you do. You're welcome. Have a great day. We sincerely hope you've enjoyed hearing from leaders who are using vision to create an inspiring future. Please join host Kate Ebner for another edition of Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life next Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Business Channel. Meanwhile, visit www.nebocompany.com for more tips on bringing your own vision to life.